Hello, everybody, and welcome to season six of the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, thought leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, you name it, all around the world of crypto and blockchain. And today I have an amazing guest. It's a, actually two parts, uh, first part of a two part series. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So I invite my audience to listen in. And, and uh, my guest um, is the Director of Communications at Rarify Labs. Her name is Kitty Horlick. Kitty, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Very welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, so let's kick things off and, and ask you the first question is this, is what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Yep, sure. So my background is I first got involved with Web3 or blockchain back in 2016. And I've worked mostly in comms and most frequently as a contractor, as a freelancer. So what happened is I was working on a lot of different projects on a lot of different chains. And I was sometimes working directly with blockchains themselves. So for example, I did a lot of work with Cardano Foundation. And I was frequently hearing all these different arguments about what specific offering each chain had and why this chain was the best chain and all the different features it had. And I gradually started to realize that um, because of the different technical trade-offs between chains, no single chain could ever provide all of the infrastructure that Web3 needs. And um, I started to become really, really interested in interoperability and in multi-chain solutions. Um, and just for context, um, Raramo, which is the protocol that Rarify Labs supports, is an interoperability protocol. Um, specifically for digital social identities. And I think um, from the social identity side, I've always considered blockchain inherently social because of the transparency and the traceability and the fact that you can view the transactions that are happening and you have this visibility, um, even just to financial exchanges that hasn't really existed before. And so I was super excited when I started to realize that Web3 had hit this inflection point where you were getting super advanced types of social exchange take place, you know, like we're seeing this wave of decentralized social media, of on-chain gaming, of spaces where really complex relationships are unfolding. Um, and I could kind of ramble about it all day, um, but just on the topic of background, I also think it's um, relevant to highlight the rest of the team's background um, and um, how sort of particular it is because our co-founder Lasha who I know you're having on has actually been in the digital identity space since 2013 um, when he worked with the Ukrainian government to digitize um, identity documents and he's been in blockchain since 2015 so he's had like a long time to kind of ponder the merge of these two things of identity and blockchain. So what are Raramo and Rarify Labs all about, including your role and focus? Yeah, sure. So um, I am the communications director at Rarify Labs, and Rarify was set up specifically to support Raramo. And Raramo is an interoperability protocol that's focused on digital social identities. And when I think most people hear about digital identities, they immediately picture KYC credentials. 
and we definitely have a big focus on KYC but we also work on a huge range of different types of digital identities including much more kind of explicitly social identities so you know um DAO membership might be a classic example um your account on decentralized social media might be another example like there's a whole host of different kind of social social explicitly social identities arising um and when we say that we make them interoperable we mean two things so when we say we provide interoperability we mean two things so firstly we allow um off-chain data to move on-chain which is really important for the digital identity space because a lot of credentials are initially held off-chain or a lot of the data around um, social identities is held off-chain and secondly we allow any data that's on-chain to become multi-chain and to move between different ecosystems and we thought this was so important again for two reasons um, and the first reason is that you know all of us want web3 to have a great user experience and to be really seamless and we're all kind of familiar with these like quite you know annoying in my opinion um, web2 practices where you have to endlessly enter the same information about yourself again and again into different sites or into different applications you have to juggle like a million different logins and what interoperability allows is um for you to generate a single credential like a single web you know on-chain credential um that might, for example, prove a specific thing about yourself, like that you're over 18. And you can then just use this credential seamlessly across like all the different dApps that you encounter. And it's just a much easier process. And then secondly, um, we think of interoperability and being able to port your identity from one platform or from one ecosystem to another as being a really, really critical part of ownership um so without the freedom to really move your identity from one place to another I think it's questionable how much you really own that identity and I think again you can kind of look towards web 2 um to illustrate this you know so like anyone who's used traditional social media will know that they don't truly own their account on that platform you know like you um, you can't transport your account, you can't transport your followers, you can't transport any of the content you've produced on there. You're vulnerable to censorship, you're vulnerable to all sorts of unfavorable terms and conditions. Um, you know, there's been so much data abuse, for example, in traditional social media. And, um, you know, part of the reason that, that this happens is because, um, like, traditional platforms know that when users can't freely move everything that they've built up on that platform they're kind of dependent on the platform and it creates a bit of a power imbalance so these platforms aren't really incentivized to offer favorable terms and this is actually known as something called like the extract attract so the attract extract dynamic which is like when you first um found a platform like a social media platform that's dependent on network effect you're incentivized to 
offer really, really attractive terms to users because you want all of them to join. And then once the network effect is so strong that people don't really have a choice to participate without being excluded from specific communities or without facing like a disadvantage in their work, you don't really have to like bother being so attractive anymore because they need you. And instead you can just start like extracting. And that's when you see things like, you know, low um, creator rewards or like, you know, poor data ownership models and stuff like that but if you can pour and transfer your identity and if you can pour and transfer your social accounts and all of the data and the graphs connected to them you reset this power balance between the platform and the user and the platforms are much more incentivized to offer good terms and the users have a great deal of freedom where they can leave if they don't like those terms and this is kind of known as the walled garden issue um and because the social layer is so nascent and it's really only just like emerging um we really really want to make sure that interoperability is like baked in from the start and that you have um you know these portable practice practices and that everything's multi-chain because it's much harder to introduce it further down the line and Raramo is the only protocol that provides the infrastructure that allows um, these identities to become interoperable. So I have a few follow-ups. That was excellent. Um, I, need, I said that so quickly, I didn't really breathe. <laughs> I need to... <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to breathe because I have like three follow-ups from the, what you just said there. Um, yeah, something surprised well, me. Too fast, by the way. Or... No, you're, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. I'm just trying to catch up to my to my <laughs> follow-up questions here, and I had the first ones. This, um, and it's something you said earlier, and and um, I want to ask about bespoke solutions, but I want to ask, I want to get the, I want to get the lay of the. the feel here first um network effect um you know something surprised me overnight yesterday um there was a famous influencer who was fired from his own brand <laughs> you know um yeah. his name Bit bitboy crypto and bitboy crypto is no longer bitboy crypto you know he's um no longer with the company how do you like i didn't think it was possible for somebody to be fired from his own brand but how do you how do you get that build back that network effect like that once if you if you're on a certain platform and you've been you know um and you can't move that fast and you and you have that walled garden how do you build back that network effect um to move from from you know say twitter x to maybe instagram to maybe facebook to maybe somewhere else like what is the challenge in being able to to navigate that network effect and that power balance yeah, I mean, so that's interesting. I hadn't seen this like specific case that you're talking about with the BitBoy effect, but this these sorts of stories of people losing access to their networks, the community or their communities or the accounts through which they connect with those communities is relatively common in Web2. And how that sort of instance would be mediated in Web3 is that it's not just that they have ownership over their kind of digital identity per se, they would also own what we call the social graph, which is the underlying network of all the different interactions that they've had with other people. And they can port that social graph 
So the way that they're communicating with their followers isn't filtered just through one platform in the way that it kind of forcibly is in Web2. Got it. So what you're saying is that it requires bespoke solutions. So, you know, um, what are bespoke solutions and why do some of the custom artifacts composing digital identities um, require bespoke solutions? Yeah. Okay. So this is a great question <laughs> um, because it just highlights how special Rarima is. Um, so interoperability um, and portability, like as a concept, has been around for quite a long time in Web3. So, um, you know, there's already a lot of bridging solutions for cryptocurrencies and financial assets. And um, how these bridging solutions work is like quite straightforward. Like you basically lock a token somewhere and then you mint it on the new chain. Um, and the reason it's so straightforward or the reason that such straightforward solutions work is because cryptocurrencies are interchangeable. Like it doesn't matter to the user which Bitcoin they have as long as like they have a Bitcoin. But with digital identities, the very specific information that the identity refers to is all important and identities aren't interchangeable. So, and they also fluctuate. So when you're transferring them, you need to ensure that you're bringing a huge, you need to ensure that you're bringing access to that information with you. So take for example, NFTs. NFTs are used a lot in the digital identity space, particularly when you're doing reputation building. And they're super dynamic, like the metadata can change. So when you're transferring an NFT, you want to make sure that you're making all of that metadata retrievable so that you keep the history and the provenance available. Um, and NFTs are just one of many different types of artifacts that are used in digital identities. You have so many different types and you need to be able to support all of them. Um, but another really big difference between digital identities and um, other digital assets is that the information contained in digital identities is highly sensitive and it's private. So you really need privacy to be embedded in the interoperability solutions. And this means usually like the best way to preserve privacy is to ensure that you have um, zero, knowledge, zero knowledge capabilities. And traditional interoperability solutions don't offer this and Raramo does and it's one of the reasons that we're so unique and it's partly how we provide these bespoke solutions. Zero knowledge proofs. So I've interviewed a bunch of technical people and they've explained to me zero knowledge proofs at the technical difficult level to understand. <laughs> you know, um, I'm interested to hear from you, you know, what a zero knowledge proof is, you know, and then how Raramo implements them to protect digital identities. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I couldn't help but laugh when you said that because they're so complicated um, cryptographically. They can be really hard to understand. Um, but just simply put, um, a zero knowledge proof enables one party to prove to another party that a certain statement is true 
without revealing any additional information. So an example of this might be you could prove that you're over 18 without revealing the exact date of your birth. So you still keep quite a lot of information private. And as I was saying before, zero knowledge cryptography is so critical to digital identities because um, you don't want to share a lot of the information that you might be using to identify yourself online or you might not want to share all of the information that is available about yourself like in a particular credential um and one example of how Raramo has leveraged ck proofs is through our proof of humanity plugin um and proof of humanity is like a pretty exciting um innovation um, so I might just zoom out for a moment to explain exactly what a proof of humanity is <laughs> so that the uh, the role of the ZKs makes sense. Um, but proof of humanities, which are also sometimes referred to as proofs of personhood, um, are basically solutions that allow users to prove that they are humans instead of bots. Um, and that might sound like a bit strange, like why do you need to prove that you're human? but frequently online spaces, including Web3, are now so overrun with bots that it be, can be really difficult to distinguish like who's a human and who's a bot, and this is gonna get worse with AI. And so increasingly we need a way to distinguish like the people from the machines. Um, and Vitalik actually recently published a blog where he called um, proofs of humanity, proof of humanity solutions um, as one of the most valuable tools that the Ethereum community is trying to build. Um, so even though it's simple, it's, um, you know, a really, really useful piece of infrastructure. Um, and there are a lot of ways that a user might want to prove that they're human, or there's a lot of different um, ways that solutions allow users to do that. So kind of most topically or most famously, um, there's WorldCoin, which uses biometric solutions. So they have these kind of really futuristic looking pieces of very specialized hardware called orbs that scan your iris and then um, generate proofs that show that like, you know, the user has a unique iris and therefore must be human. Um, but you could also use um, social graphs or like specific KYC credentials to prove that a user must be human or has um, performed social activities that only a human could perform. So for example, one of the identity providers um, that Raramo worked with or partnered with in our proof of humanity solution was Unstoppable Domains. And we kind of went on the assumption that if someone has an unstoppable domain, they've had to go through so many steps to get that domain, including like having a bank account and purchasing the domain, that they couldn't possibly be a bot and they must be a human. So yeah, you have all these different, um, you know, identity providers and different um, proof of humanity solutions. And what Raremo did is we aggregated them all into one single plugin so that Adapt could integrate with Raramo and then like instantly get access to all these different proof of humanity solutions and all these different providers. Um, and we thought that that was such an important thing to do because um, if you don't have optionality um, within proof of humanity, 
you end up with a situation where users might find that they're kind of forced to participate in one verification method or risk being excluded from a space. So if like everywhere you go suddenly demands like that you use a wild coin proof of humanity, um, then users will find that they kind of have no choice but to start using, to, to start generating wild coin proof, proofs of humanity. Um, but um, yeah, we wanted to ensure that users basically like have options and don't feel like they're forced to use like a specific verification um, process. And um, we also wanted the dApps to have optionality and not feel like they have to go with one or the other. Um, and um, with this solution where we introduced CK proofs is that like whenever a user generates a proof using the Raramo solution. Yeah, so we wanted to make sure basically that um, users had choice and that like they had options about which verifier, which identity provider they use and which form of verification they went for and whether or not they wanted to do biometric or social graph or whatever. Um, and where ZKs come in is that um, we wanted to make sure that when you're proving you're human, that's the only information that you give away about yourself and that no other extra details are revealed. So to go back to the unstoppable domains example, um, not even the domain that you own would be revealed. Like the proof protects all this additional information and you're able to preserve your privacy as you move about the net. Because this was always the biggest challenge with proof of humanity solutions. It's like, how do you make someone prove that they're a human? Or like, how do you allow someone to prove that they're a human without making them hand over loads and loads of personal data and loads of personal information? So hopefully that sort of explains how a ZK works and like what it does in practice. It does. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that was great. And uh, maybe think about a few things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm. You mentioned Worldcoin, and I'm like, you know, I looked at the investors behind it, like the like the three AC guys and Sam Bankman Freeze, and I'm like, it made me think. You know, there needs to be another step in addition to just you know proof of humanity, proof of motive. You know. Is, is important too and we don't see that right now but you know no one can see the proof of motive which means there are some dangers between behind you know um artificial intelligence or the use of these bots or you know whatever you know in addition to maybe the having an improper motive you know what are the dangers of you know this ai and this bots and you know what's what's the what's the what should people look out for you know? Yeah. Well, I think bots have been a kind of threat to the security of online spaces for a long time. And I think the thing that's interesting about bots and kind of distinguishes them from, I don't know, like the traditional scammer is it's more that they can like overwhelm entire systems and they can flood platforms and they can like oversaturate spaces and fill it with so much content that it makes it very very difficult to like shift through it and find um authentic content or to realize like what's true and what's not so a kind of classic example that I often think about with bots was um all the speculation around the 
2016 election um, when, you know, there were accusations that Russia mobilized um, bots to flood Twitter with like pro-Trump content and warp the results. And, you know, it was never proven whether or not that actually happened. And, you know, there was a lot of kind of um, speculation about it, but it just illustrated how bots might function if they were being used or of how you could intervene with a democratic process if you wanted to using bots. Um, and I think it's like a very vivid example for this kind of oversaturation argument. And um, with AI, not only are you having, not only is it much easier to generate bots, um, it's also much easier to just generate vast amounts of content and often, um, you know, content that's very misleading or could like spread disinformation. Um, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to tell which content is authentic and which content has been machine generated. So, you know, one case that um, I saw recently was, um, you know, an artificial image of the Pentagon exploding. Um, that circulated and went viral and it was even reshared by specific news sources and um, it actually caused the S&P to drop by I think it was 0.2% which isn't huge but again it's like indicative of how convincing and powerful this these, this AI content artificially you know generated content can be that it actually influences like the movement of a market um, so I think like increasingly we need to focus on um, identifying the provenance of content and the provenance of images and being able to tell like did a human generate this or did a bot generate this and um, you can use there's a lot of cryptography that's like been born out of web3 and blockchain that could be really really useful for this and in general, like if AI makes the internet a less trustworthy place, you can see blockchain as making it a more trustworthy place because blockchain can act as a singular source of truth and it can provide traceability, it can provide transparency, it can drastically improve provenance. So I think um, like as well as being um, cautious about bots, I think there's also a lot, um, and cautious of AI, I think there's also like a lot to be hopeful for um, and quite a lot of amazing solutions being innovated at the moment. Interesting. You said early on that there are groups on socials that are the one chain is the only chain or the best chain, no other chains. Are, and I've run into several, <laughs> yeah. in the, you know, like Bitcoiners or Ethereans or whatever. Um, who don't even give me the time of day because I cover every chain, you know? And I'm like, and I'm looking at their followers, like a million, two million, three million. I'm like, does anybody actually know these people? How many people they actually know in their work? You're like, how do we, and I believe blockchain is a single source of truth too, and I believe that it can make a difference. But how do we deal with, in the current lay, lay of the land, how do we deal with those with those, you know, fake hoods or whatever, those bots minimize the threat. Has a common, common layperson look through that and navigate the creator economy so that they can, you know, they can see what's genuine versus what's fake. Yeah, well, I think you've touched on a really big problem. Like it's very, very difficult to ascertain sentiment online anymore and to tell whether or not 
the amount of likes and the level of engagement that a content creator appears to have is authentic or whether it's just bots um and hopefully things like the proof of humanity solution can improve this because what it does is it puts up a barrier where people can only engage with specific spaces on specific platforms like if they prove first that they're a human so if it's like a load of of artificial bots they're not going to be able to go and drive up that fake sentiment um but I think um there's also a lot of really interesting um stuff there's a lot of interesting ways that blockchain can kind of protect um creator authenticity so to speak um so we spoke you know in the last question just now about um being able to trace the provenance of images um and I think um this will also help with clarifying followers and sentiments like when you can trace where an image came from or when you can prove that like a human made it and you can really provide like a lot of detail and background around some of the stuff that's been shared I think that will also help streamline the engagement that it gets. Got it. I'm looking forward to that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. Awesome. So I want to thank you uh, very much for your time today. This has been a very enjoyable conversation for me. And um, I think my last question is going to be easy. It's... Mm -hmm. uh, how can people find out more information about you, about uh, Rarify, Raramo? Um, how can they sign up for the uh, Proof of Humanity or, or get involved with it? Um, how can they do any of that? Yep. So the best way to stay in touch or stay up to date with what Raramo is up to is just to follow us on Twitter. Um, but we also have a medium that has some blogs that detail these topics in a bit more detail. And we do have a Discord and Telegram. Um, and if you want to um, use the Proof of Humanity solution um, as a user, we've integrated it. We launched it with two platforms, which was Decentraland through the DCL Curations, um, which is an educational experience where you can complete different quizzes and exercises and you get um, rewards and wearables or um, you could go to Galaxy because we've integrated it there. Um, and I think at the moment, it's only been implemented on the Raramo Quest, um, but you could check it out that way. And then if you're um, a DAP or a platform and you're interested in integrating the Proof of Humanity solution, um, you could get in touch with us on our Telegram. We have like a specific channel um, to help businesses actually integrate the, the solution um, or reach out to us on, on Twitter or whatever. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Great. Thank you so much.